Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Lent is a part of the Jewish calendar. It's a very biblical concept. The problem is, is it has gotten distorted because some people think that you do it in order to earn salvation. And the reality is, is Lent is not something we do to earn salvation. Lent is something that you could participate in because of your salvation. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more, but let me kind of give you a little bit of a backdrop. Are you ready? Lent is a very simple concept. To understand your word, God's word, the Bible that you have, whether you have it on a phone, whether you have it on a tablet, or whether you have a paper copy, here's the things you need to understand. Number one, you live in a Western culture. But going back to this aspect of Lent and the God's word, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek because of the influences in the world. And so with that being said, there's a lot of different concepts that are in God's word that sometimes may throw you off. For example, over in the Middle East, in particular in Israel, they will function most of the time on what's called the Jewish calendar. It's made up of seven, seven different parts. Some of them you will recognize. Advent, you know that one. Pentecost, you know that one. But then there's this season that they call Lent. And it's the six weeks that leads up to Resurrection Sunday. And I want to just explain a little bit about what that is and give you a reason why I believe it's important for us to draw near to God and how I think this is an amazing concept. It, it's a great concept. It's a Christian concept. It's not something you need to turn your nose to or be worried about. It's a very simple concept that literally reflects at a time of preparation that is to do 40 days. Now, it's little more than 40 days because it's six weeks. It usually starts. It doesn't usually. It does. It starts on Ash Wednesday, and it goes all the way up till Holy Saturday, which is the Saturday before Resurrection Sunday. But most people struggle because unlike our other holidays, Easter doesn't fall on the same day every year, does it? You ever wondered why? Like, wouldn't it be a whole lot easier if we did like, okay, like April the 12th? Like just for the rest of our lives, April the 12th will be Easter. That would be real easy. All of a sudden, it would be like December the 25th. And so we have this season that we call the Christmas season, and we look forward to the. But because it falls on the Jewish calendar, we don't know what day it is, but we actually can find out when it is every year by using the Jewish calendar. Now, I'm going to give you more information than you need, and then I'm going to show you a short video to help you even understand a little bit more. But let me give you the simple concept. Easter every year falls on the Sunday after the first full moon, it's called Pascal's moon, of the Jewish calendar, which is after the spring equinox, which is March the 21st. Because of that, it, it rains all over the place. This particular year, it's going to be April the 17th. And so if you take Easter Sunday and you back up six weeks, then you're going to go to what they find out is going to be Ash Wednesday. And they take 40 days, not including the Sundays, that represent a time of Lent. Now, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Now, I know when Ash Wednesday is, not because of Ash Wednesday, but because of the way the Americans have culturalized Lent. Because I know that Tuesday is Fat Tuesday. You say, why is it called Fat Tuesday? I don't know, but I like that. Like, Fat Tuesday. Like, I... Like, now that's a holiday I can celebrate right there. 
But it's, it's there because most people during Lent, they will do something to sacrifice. See, Lent is built around three main pillars. Prayer, fasting, and the giving of alms. And what people will do on Ash Wednesday, just like you study in the Old Testament, Ash Wednesday is a time of mourning. Like if you read King David after he lost one of his sons and he was mourning and he was clothed in sawcloth and ashes. Or if you were to go to Jerusalem and go to the Wailing Wall, you would hear people and someone would be having ash on them. Because what they're doing is they're talking about something has been dead, something's been burned up. They are, they are mourning, they are sacrificing, and they are grieving. And Ash Wednesday is a time for us to recognize and grieve that we have fallen, we are sinful, and we have struggles. And then they would enter a time for 40 days, representing the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness. And they would take those 40 days and do prayer, fasting from something, and the giving of alms. Now, the fasting and the giving of the alms in that Jewish culture go together. Because what they would do is, is, let's say for you, and I'm not telling you guys to do this. I'm just giving you a lot of information. I'm going to give you a biblical account of the why, okay? But let's say you say, okay, well, for... For, for Lent this year, I'm going to give up Cokes. Okay? Well, it's more than just giving up Cokes. What you normally would do is you say, okay, I'm going to give up Cokes. And because I drink Cokes, then every time I would normally crave a Coke or where I would normally drink a Coke, I would take that dollar and 78 cents and I'd put it over to the side. And as that built up, I would find something that represents something of Jesus and I would give to that organization as a giving of alms. So it was more than just me fasting from something. It was also me taking that fast the money that I was receiving or that I was going to be spending and giving that. If you're fasting from food, then they would take what they would usually spend on their groceries. They'd sit over to the side and they would give that to somebody as, a, as an aspect of alms. A lot of times they'd give it to a religious organization or to a synagogue or to a church. But that's kind of the concept. It was a time of, of focusing in. But it's actually even a little bit more than that. Lent literally means to lengthen. And it's the concept that you're going to be seeing in the season. We can look in the world. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 talks about even the, the creation cries out. It's a general revelation that there is a God. Like right now, we're watching the days are starting to get longer. The light's starting to be there longer. The darkness is shrinking. And they would use this season leading up to Resurrection Sunday, the season of Easter, to have a preparation. Say, so you know what? It's time for us to oppress and shrink the darkness in our life and to become a light into this world. And they would realize that they would do that through a season they called Lent. Now, when we put it like that, we're like, okay, well, that makes sense. Mickey, I got one question. Why don't we do it? And I think that's the question I want to answer today. I think there's a lot of things when it comes to our Christian walk that to be honest with you, either we don't know or we do know and we're like, wow, that would take a lot. Or number three, we're just like, nah, I don't want to. And I just want to show you a very simple concept out of God's word. It's through one of Jesus' teachings, through a, through a healing that he did that lets you understand that I believe very, very personally that we are in a season that it's extremely important that we put an emphasis on going deeper and drawing near to God. I believe, as Jesus' brother James said, that it's time for us to make it a priority. Like, like this year, what God's put in my heart is, is I don't want to be like, 
Woohoo! April 17th, Easter Sunday. It's going to be great. We've got the gym reserved, so we'll hold everybody, and we'll transform everything, and we're going to da-da-da. And it's a one-day. What would it look like if, as a people group called His Church, if there was a preparation towards Easter? The only way I can really give you this analogy is something that I've went through five times in my life. I can remember the excitement when Amy told me, we're pregnant. Now, some of you people are always like, we? They know we. She was the one pregnant. Well, believe it or not, it takes two people, but that's a sermon on a different day. But she would be excited, and, and we would have this, this time, this, this preparation. And we would lead up to the arrival. And there would be so much excitement, so much anticipation, and people would know it was coming, and people would know it was going on in our life, so much so that people would start rearranging their schedule and say, hey, did they, they give you a due date? But there was an anticipation, right? Can I ask you a question? And I'm, I'm being serious. All, all the facetious and joking around aside. What would it look like in your life if this year you built an anticipation to get to Resurrection Sunday and what it meant for you. But what would it look like for you personally and the people around you if this year it was a journey to Easter rather than just a one-day celebration? Again, Jesus' own brother James said, if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. And I want to simply give you the, the why behind the what that I call Lent. Now, in, in the everyday world, the aspect of Lent is literally a time of repentance and reflection. A lot of people that will participate in Lent, like this Wednesday, they will go out to Ash Wednesday. Yes, Tuesday's Fat Tuesday. Why? Because everybody's going to go eat. And I'm not talking about Mardi Gras and all the debacle that that is in New Orleans. But there is this aspect of Fat Tuesday because a lot of people are going to refrain from things starting this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And I'm not asking you to do that. I just want you to listen to God's word. And I want you to ask the simple question, what would it look like if I did something this year to journey to or lead to Resurrection Sunday rather than just showing up on April the 17th like, woohoo, this is it. And I think one of the things that I want us to dive into is found very simply in the aspect of Mark chapter 9. Can I simply read this? And let me set the stage before I dive into the first. Jesus has just had this transfiguration. He's told the three disciples that are with him in his inner circle, say, don't say no, but don't say nothing to nobody. Like, keep this between us. And he comes down off the mountain with the disciples, and there's an argument that's broke out. And let me read for you. It's in chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. They're talking about Jesus. And he, being Jesus, asked them, What are you arguing about? Paul's button. We are living in the most argumentative time I've ever seen. That's not a political statement, and I'm not going to go any further. I'm just speaking truth. People will argue about anything. You say, how do you know that? Because people argue with me. I don't understand it. 
Like, I am right, like, most of the time. But people argue, and I'm like, why are you arguing with me? It's not going like, once you start arguing with me, even if I'm wrong, I'm not going to change it. That's called winning the argument. By your laughter, you do the same thing, don't you? If you're married, that's called the couch. <laughs> Learn humbleness. If you're dating, pray for you. All right? But no, seriously, it's one of those things, everybody wants to argue about everything. Now, I, I, just for a quick second, Mickey, what about everything that's going on in our world right now? You need to be in a very humble spirit of prayer. I would encourage you to be less concerned about being right and more concerned without being holy and righteous. Like, no matter what your political view may be and what you may think would resolve it very quickly, I would be more consumed with praying for people. There are families that are losing loved ones right now. War is a horrible thing. Necessary, yes. There are times throughout God's word, war has been a necessary thing. But it's still horrible. Why? Because God came for you to have life and have life more abundantly. And whenever that gets sniffed out or snuffed out, even when it's the ultimate sacrifice, and I, I, I tip my hat to some of these stories we've already heard of people battling for their freedom and giving, like, that, that is the ultimate, that's what Jesus did for us. He gave his life for us to have freedom. But I want you to know as a church, our response, we're going to pray for peace and for God to move forward with the understanding that you do understand that the ultimate goal is there will never be peace in the Middle East. It started with a slave woman that was married to Abraham that had a son called Ishmael. And then there was a Sarah who had a son named Isaac. And guess what? There's been conflict ever since. And it's not going to resolve. You say, oh, is this the end times? I don't know, but can I tell you, I hope it's not. You say, why? Not because I don't want to see Jesus, but because I love people. There's too much to get done. So will you join in praying and praying with the right heart for the Ukrainians and also pray for the Russians? You say, what? <laughs> Whoop, out there. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Do you know that, that we are one major spiritual movement in one particular leader's life from everything being different? And I'm just crazy enough to know that God could still do it. Now back to God's word. So this argument has broke out. And they're trying to figure out, like, well, what is he arguing about? And so Jesus asked him, said, hey, guys, what, what are you arguing about? And this man steps up. Listen, it's in verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, this is Jesus, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. 
And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has it been that this has been happening to him? And he said, the father speaking, from childhood. And it has often casted him into fire and into water to destroy him. Now listen to what the father says right here. This is key for each one of us. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I believe that's where most of us live. When it comes to our relationship with Christ, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, when it comes to our knowledge of God, when it comes to us getting into God's word, when we start thinking about things like Lent and other spiritual holy holidays that could be a time of reflection, when it talks about your daily devotion, we live in a kind of like a, well, if you could do anything, it would be great. Like I make this statement a lot, and if you want to write it down, you're more than welcome to. I define faith very simply. Faith is the knowledge or knowing that he can, but simply hoping that he will. Okay? Faith is the knowledge or knowing that he can, but simply hoping that he will. Let me put it in a different way. My faith is not based on whether I think God can or can't. I know he can. My faith is living in a hope, just praying like, Lord, will you? This gentleman's response was different. He's approaching Jesus, and he's telling him his disciples have not been able to, to free his young boy from this spirit. And he's telling them what they're arguing about. And he literally looks at Jesus and he basically is like, and if you could do something, would you? Listen to how Jesus responds. He gives them a two-part answer to this question. Are you ready? And Jesus said to him, if you can, and notice the exclamation point. Like, I got to hit a pause button. Like, this is one of those moments for me that I, that I love God's word because it lets me know the human side of Jesus. Like, this is Jesus who's fully man yet fully God, and he's literally like, if I can. Like, <laughs> I was just on a mountain in transfiguration. Like, the three people that were up there with me right now are going, oh, if he can. If you'd only known, like, we just saw him, like, totally lit up and God speaking through him. We've seen, like, think about all the things that Jesus has already done to this point. And you want to ask me if I can. That would be like you looking at me and saying, hey, pastor, do you know there's somewhere to eat? I give you two guesses what the answer to that will be. The response will be, well, what do you like? Because I can give you somewhere to eat for every single thing that you like, except for vegetable plates. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like everything about Jesus' life has demonstrated that he can. But because of what the disciples could not do, the faith of this man has been been waned, and he's literally looking at Jesus and like, hey, if, if you can do anything. And Jesus literally is like, if I can. If I can. Are you, you talking to me? Like, I'm sure he's looking. I, I, guess he, I bet Peter was having a ball right here, right? Like, Peter's the, the one that always opened his mouth, insert foot. He's probably back there like, he just said if he could. Can you believe that? I mean, like, it is, it's on like Donkey Kong. And so listen to what he says. This is what I want you to catch. He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. 
Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This same story is in Matthew chapter 17. It's at this point in the story of Matthew chapter 17 that Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can look at the mountain and say, move, and it will cast itself into the sea. See, the, the father realized that the faith is built around a belief, but it's got to be followed up with an action. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I watch people, and they have faith in something. The problem is they don't have the action, the feet, to their faith. They believe faith is sitting and waiting on God to move. And God is literally saying, move. And so this father literally says, oh, I believe, and Lord, help me. If there's anything that I have that's unbelief, help me to not have that unbelief. Give me that belief too. And so watch what happens. It's an amazing story, getting to one main point for today. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after... Uh, crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, the crowd, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. And here's where it gets good. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Have you ever had a point in your life that you were seeking God and wanting God to do something and you wonder why it didn't happen. Now, I'm not gonna get into this whole theological debate because I don't necessarily have time today. Blair's already rightfully answered what some of you have in your mind. Yes, God answers every prayer. Some are yes, some are no. That doesn't mean it wasn't answered. But why is it that some things happen and some things don't? I believe that God gives us a very real concept through this question that the disciples ask him in private of, Jesus, why did that spirit not listen to us? Why is it that, that we weren't able to do that? Two things I want you to realize. It wasn't because they lacked faith and belief. I, I know it says you have little faith, but they didn't lack faith or belief. The problem is they were lacking the actions that would go with the faith and belief. See, Jesus is fixing to teach them a lesson in this next scripture that I'm gonna show you that, you know what? Just having faith without having something with it is really not much of a faith. Like faith has always been meant to draw you and push you towards actions. Like if you believe in something, then because of your belief, you will do certain things. It's not that I do certain things because, well, I hope that something's going to work out. No, because of what you believe, that will dictate what you choose to do. And listen to what Jesus says. It's the last verse of today. Verse 29. And he being Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, I believe we get very confused sometimes 
in the Christian world and in church life, and we listen to certain pastors and certain podcasts and certain speakers who, who are giving you a half-truth, because they will make the statement that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, which is true. But that doesn't mean that you just rest on your laurels and just simply sit in faith and don't do something to build that faith. See, these disciples, what Jesus was telling them, and it's actually also in Matthew chapter 17. You can go read the same exact, it's same story, okay? It's in the synoptic gospel, same story. And what he's teaching them is that, that it's not just speaking, like sometimes what you are wanting in your life, it's more than just speaking it, it's about doing it. I'll give you an easier example. What's your prayer life like? What's your devotional life like? I gotta be honest with you, this is a different type of message. We, we don't normally talk about this sort of stuff a whole lot. Not that it's not important, but we have community groups and, and majority of you guys are in those and, and it's great. But it's one of those things, it's like, what, what are you doing to grow in God's word? What are you doing to grow in moving forward in your knowledge of him? See, there's some things that you need to do that's more than just a belief in Jesus. Now, please, I do not believe in a works-based faith. That's my issue with the way some people approach Lent. They do it based on working to have a relationship with Jesus rather than because of my relationship with Jesus, this is something I want to choose to do. In fact, I will turn it. You won't see these scriptures, but I will turn in mine. In James chapter 2, 14 through 26, you've heard it a million times. It's the aspect where he says, and faith without works is dead. You show me your faith, I'll show you my works. But then there's this one scripture that I want you just to, to think about. It's in chapter 2 of James, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And what he's talking about, and again, this is the brother of Jesus, the one that grew up with him, that also ended up being a disciple, that walked around like this is a very close person to Christ. And he's trying to let people know in the church. He ends up being the first main pastor of the church of Jerusalem. That was Jesus' brother. And he's leading this church. And he's letting this church know it's more than just simply believing. In fact, in chapter 2, he says, you believe, you do well, because even the demons believe and tremble. Like at some point, your belief and your faith has to result in actions and something in your life that you start doing. You say, Mickey, what would some of those things look like? Well, that's where Lent came from. The aspect of Lent is a season to put into action what you already believed on the inside. Well, what do you believe? That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, I need to repent. And in all these things, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So I'm going to spend days focusing on Christ in a time of prayer and some sort of fasting to remind myself. Now, fasting is not something we talk about on a regular basis in church life, but fasting is a very simple concept. You take something that you, that you enjoy and that you do on a regular basis, 
and you take that away so that anytime you have the craving for that, you will replace that with a time of reflection and prayer and reading God's word. It's just a mechanism to help you dwell on God more. Now, Scripture will show you there's different types of fasts that will do different types of things. A lot of people go to like the Daniel fast, but it's more than that. It's literally simply a mechanism or a vehicle that's a spiritual vehicle that God's put in your life to help you to draw near to God so that you can watch him draw near to you. See, all of those things, including giving, are things that God uses that will help us draw near to him. Giving. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as you're, as you're fasting and then you're putting things to the side and then you're giving to these people that are, that are presenting the gospel or loving people well and loving God well, you're gonna be talking about that. You're gonna be dwelling on that. I'll give you a great example. Back at Christmas, how many people were talking about the empty stocking fund? When we had a big emphasis with Isaiah 117 and helping them build that house for, for children that are in need, how many people were talking about that? See, the more we give to something, we start talking about that something because that's where our heart goes. And Scripture also tells us that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I'm wanting to draw near to God and to dwell on godly things and be in God's word and move forward in God's word and speak about God's word, then guess what? My treasure has to be on godly things as well. And that is the whole concept of Lent. It's taking a six-week period to journey to a celebration in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, understanding that we no longer have to stay in a spirit of mourning. We no longer have to stay in a spirit of forgiveness. Because Jesus, when he tore the veil, he says, you know what, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. You are forgiven. But it's a time to really build up and to, to acknowledge how great that moment is. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.